Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Assalamu alaikum. Welcome back to the Struggle to Know. Uh, today we're we have a very special guest on. Um, but before we get into the introductions, I'd like to, as usual, thank the Cleveland Public Library for uh, lending the support with the audio and video equipment that we're using to record this podcast. And uh, inshallah, let's get started. Bismillah. Uh, and with you, as usual, myself, uh, Hamza Makbul, uh, currently Imam at the Islamic Center of Cleveland, and Musa Sukupong, locally in the Cleveland area, doing what I can, inshallah. Mashallah, teaching classes, uh, uh, teaching the ulum al-sharia at the uh, 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 Dar al-Qasim, as well as uh, overseeing a number of very vital and important activities uh, in the community for youth and for people new to Islam or interested in Islam. Uh, mashallah, uh, too humble. And we're coming uh, to you live uh, on location uh, from Sheikh Musa's house. If you're wondering where all the forest uh, 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 background went, it actually started raining and we don't want to uh, in any way damage the library's equipment. So we basically are under the cover of the garage. And you can still hear the birds in the background, though, Marshall. We get a lot of good feedbacks about the, feedback about the birds. So our uh, uh, special guest this week is Coach Kahari Hicks. Uh, he is a, 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 a local uh, teacher um, in public school, yeah. and he is uh, uh, one of the uh, most well-known and well-renowned uh, football coaches uh, in, uh, in, in Northeast Ohio, if not all of Ohio, if not really all of the country, to be honest with you. And uh, uh, inshallah, I'm, we're going to ask you a little bit, Coach, to, to say a little bit about yourself, your background, and uh, your journey uh, so that we can kick off the... Uh, um, the discussion properly but before that i wanted to maybe take a moment and uh, uh, hear from you about a very special brother um uh, brother Lukman williams uh, who's a common uh, acquaintance of i believe all of us uh, the first time i met him was in morocco when i was on my way to uh, study in mauritania and uh, he actually uh, kept me in his home for a couple of days when i didn't have a place to stay uh, which is a very common uh, a very common occurrence when you go out in the path of path of Allah and the path of knowledge, and uh, at times like that, you know who who really values this deen and who uh, you know who, to whom uh, you know people in that situation are an annoyance. And uh, he he passed away uh, um, relatively recently. Uh, may Allah subhanahu wa taala forgive his sins and Amen. elevate his maqam Amen. and uh, make uh, all of the good impact that he had on all of us a sadaqah jariya for him Amen. until yomul qiyama. Uh, so, inshallah, uh, Coach, would you like to first first off just share a little bit about uh, Brother Luqman's uh, impact on you? Because I know a lot of people who are going to listen to this are going to have something or another uh, to say about you know his impact on them. Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Alhamdulillah. Wa sallallahu ala Sayyidina Muhammadin wa ala alihi sallam. Amen. Sidi Luqman, may Allah have mercy upon him. I had the fortune of meeting him shortly after I took my shahada in 1996 through Cleveland State, and Lukeman was just always about the spiritual development and having a plan. And I just think that, you know, ultimately, it's just a, it's a, such a blessing to have him in, in, in my life, just because of what he was able to do. He formulated the Cleveland Study Group, really introduced a lot of people to traditional uh, fiqh. You know, Lukeman was a Maliki, but, you know, just encouraged people to follow some, somebody's fiqh. And, and follow somebody's madhab and get on somebody's tarika just so you could get some spiritual development. And Lukeman was always about having a program. And I think that's something that's direly missing from a lot of Muslims now is just a spiritual program. And so he kind of really left the blueprint 
through a lot of the information that he posted on Facebook and just always focusing on, you know, getting ready for what's to come, and that's the grave. And I just think the most pointed thing that Lukman ever said to me was just talking about Ramadan and how, you know, and Lukman was, and everyone that knows Lukman, he always did a sports analogies with Islam. It's one of the things I think he was so gifted at. And so he always talked about Ramadan being the playoffs and how the best players, they elevate their game in the playoffs when the stakes are high. And he said, you can't elevate your game in the postseason if your preparation wasn't right. So if you're just having, if you're, if you're not really praying, you're engaging in all kinds of haram prior to Ramadan, there's just, you're not going to flip the proverbial switch and just say, okay, here I am. I'm going to make, you know, 20 rakats of tarawih. I'm going to catch Leo Tokutter. And that's just the most pointed thing to me from Luke Ma. I was just talking about the benefit of just preparation, you know, and ultimately, you know, please keep him in your du'as as, you know, we will all need someone to make du'a for us after we're gone. May Allah reward Luke Ma immensely, make him give us a spacious grave, admit him to Jannah with no accounting and no punishment. I mean, I mean, I mean. So, Coach, uh, 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 shifting gears, uh, please uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. Where were you born? You know, where did you go to school? What is your journey in Islam? And uh, kind of what are you currently uh, currently into professionally and in terms of your dean? Okay, so, you know, I'm born and raised in Cleveland, Ohio. I went to Cleveland Heights High School, very diverse school district. I actually had a lot of Muslim friends now it's probably my first attraction to Islam is that all the Muslim names. I said, oh man, his name was like Muhammad Abdul Kareem. I said, oh, I love that name. It sounds so, and so, you know, it sounded, you know, just even the names were just, you know, Allah's attributes, you know, even as a non-Muslim, there was something drawing me to that already. And so I ended up uh, leaving Cleveland Heights and playing college football at an institution called Mercyhurst over in Erie, Pennsylvania. And I was actually roommates with a, a Man, a brother, very close brother of mine named Brahim Bakar, and he was Muslim. And during two a days, when we would go come back for our second practice, the adhan would always seem to go off. So I, I, I say I learned a lot of the adhan before I became Muslim. They had like the little old school mosque that would, that would play the adhan, and so there times I'm slapping the adhan, trying to get it to go off, but it won't go off. So I, I, I think through my whole journey, there are always things that you know kind of pointed me to Islam that that was something that was coming for me. And so Brahim and I had a lot of in-depth conversations, and that's always a point of dawah is just through behavior. And so you think you can just beat somebody over the head and think they're going to accept Islam. And I just watched him, and I studied him because that's, I'm, a, I, I'm a very observant person. And he just asked a lot of questions. And I, you know, I'll never forget, we would come back from a party, and he's getting up for Fajr. And I'm like, huh, you know, what's making this person do that? And he's sticking his feet in the sink. I'm, I'm like, mom, this guy, he's washing his feet. Like, what's wrong with him? You know, and it's, you know, but it was always, it's like foreshadowing. And so when I, let, when I was done playing at Mercyhurst, I went to Kent, um, met a couple brothers there and took Shahad. And I, Brahim was the first one I called and he, he couldn't believe it. You know, he said, wow, you became Muslim. And he said it just made him elevate his game. But I graduated from Kent State, got a degree in uh, education. I went uh, to the Cleveland Public School System for three years before I ended up going out to Painesville. So I've been uh, teaching now. This will be year number 21, inshallah, coming up in the fall. And I've also been a football coach the same amount of time I've been a school teacher. So I started coaching at Cleveland Heights. And that journey took me to several other schools and, you know, in a a circle back to Cleveland Heights. So it's been an interesting ride. But, you know, just getting a chance to interact with youth 99% of your day 
you know, just gives you a unique perspective. So I'm an eighth grade English teacher and a football coach. Yeah, t tell me something. Tell me something about uh, uh, about being a teacher. Uh, tell me something about Cleveland Heights being a teacher in Cleveland Heights. Tell me something about the the place that you're a coach. Are there the same schools? Okay, I got you. So I, I teach in Painesville, uh -huh. and so Painesville is a very diverse district. We're probably about forty percent Hispanic, and then a mix of white, black, and just mixed students. Mm -hmm. And go ahead. Economically. Socioeconomically, probably about ninety percent of kids are on free and reduced lunch. So you know, it's 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 an interesting you know dynamic. Coaching at Cleveland Heights, it's a it's a very mixed community in terms of socioeconomics. You'll have Section Eight in one area, mm -hmm. and you can literally drive six minutes later and be at a million dollar house. So it's really really diverse, and so our team is like like that. We have some kids, their parents do really well. Some kids, their parents do okay. Some kids, their 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 families struggle. But, you know, I think that's probably what makes it a good situation is that you have all kinds of kids in my classroom in Painesville and on my football team coming together. So I think that's probably beneficial just for, um, you know, getting to know people. And like, you know, being a teacher, uh, I guess people don't really know or think about that uh, um, uh, a lot. But uh, being a teacher is a, it's a struggle. It's not easy. And it's a thankless job, not only in terms of, you know the paycheck but uh the students the parents all this other stuff and uh, but at the same time it's like this really noble thing like you know sheikh musa and i you know i don't want to speak for him inshallah maybe he speak for himself but um it was drilled into us that this is the the you know the rasul sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and i wasn't sent except for as a as a teacher that there's like something sacred about it the sacrifice and what you give from your heart to people who will never understand um, but you give for the sake of Allah. Um, I mean, I, I, I want to know a little bit coming from teaching the deen, um, at least there is some acknowledgement of the sacredness of that process um, in, you know, amongst those who are learning uh, the deen. Like, how is it, how do you struggle and cope with just not even having acknowledgement from your students uh, and having students sometimes that their, their brain is just in a different zone, whether it's their own financial struggles or whether it's their drunkenness from, you know, the dunya or whatever. Like, how, how is it? How do you keep giving from yourself, you know, despite that? Uh, I think ultimately, you know, you I've even heard you mention this, that your heart has to be in the right place. And if you recognize that you're going to die, you're going to go in the grave, you're going to come before a law, then you can't worry about what other people said. I think in, even in the aphorisms of Ibn Atila, it's like, you know, the key to the spiritual path is indifference to people's opinions of you. So, it, it, so it's a kind of a situation where, you know, you just have to have a pure heart and understand that what you're, you're trying to give to people and whether they give back to you is completely irrelevant because ultimately you're going to meet a law. So when you deal with students that are, they're not grateful for what you do parents whether it's coaching or whether it's teaching honestly I think that's just part of the trial we all get tried in different ways and you'll get some very ungrateful people there's a person that I helped get a scholarship probably covered everything probably about a hundred ninety thousand dollar scholarship and he took to social media saying how bad of a coach I was and so it was actually more so a lesson for me than it was for him because who am I you know, look what Allah has, has blessed me and my family with for me to even worry about what someone else thinks about me. So I think that's just the biggest thing is that you have to do 
and not expecting return because, you know, a law provides the risk in this life and in the next. So when you're, when you're dealing with in, ungrateful people, it's actually more of a lesson for you. Like, what do we take? What do we take for granted? Like the rain that falls. Mm-hmm. We, have, we have people dying in Yemen every 10 minutes and we just throw food away. So it, 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 that's probably been the thing that I try to check myself with is when someone says, oh, you never did anything for me. I'm like, man, who are you? But then I have to go back and check myself. Like, you know, I have a working car, you know, and the, most of the world lives on $2 a day. Mm. So, you know, what do I really have to complain about? And ultimately, I have a lot to account for myself in terms of what I've been given. So it really teaches you just to shut up and just <laughs> re- really focus on yourself. Was education something you got into even before you were a Muslim? And that's a path you started, you know, taking um, professionally when you were studying as a university student? Or was that something you decided you wanted to get into after you became Muslim? Because, again, it, it does take a special person. And as a Muslim, we can kind of have a broader perspective and a bigger picture and understand that we don't need everything here. But if you don't have that type of consciousness, it's hard to give yourself like that. Right. So I'm just curious to know if like education was something that you were into before you were a Muslim or not. It's funny you mentioned that because I think this is the, one of the key components to education. I want to be a physical therapist. And when I went to college, at first, I felt like there were people who weren't really making me believe I could do it. And as a teacher, I want to make sure that my students are they feel like they can do anything, you know, obviously but no one really, they didn't seem like they supported me in that. They, did, they made me feel like I couldn't do it. And I started looking at my dad and my mom and like all my family were educators and I always liked to work with children anyway. And so I took that major and that was, you know, a year before I became Muslim. And so then after I became Muslim, I just I continued on with that until I graduated. But I think it's important to support people and what is it that they, that they want to do. Because so many times we tell people, especially ethnic minorities, well, you should do this. You know, when I first got to campus, someone said, you know, are you, oh, you must be a football player. I'm like, you know, we all knew where that came from. But, you know, I think that's part of the issue in education is you have to support the kids in trying to want to reach their dreams. Right. You, you mentioned also um, Brother Brahim. And, you know, that's that might guy. be another future discussion in itself and hopefully when he's in in town we can have him have a conversation with him but you 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 said that you became Muslim after that Mm -hmm. um uh, so so what was the I guess the the final uh factor that made you accept Islam and who was that through and um would you say Brahim was your primary influence in exposure and how did him being African-American influence your decision uh Brahim and I just we we hit it off immediately you know, and there's so many stories that, you know, I didn't realize, I didn't know Muslims couldn't could even eat pork. So we were ordering a pizza, and I said, he said, what do you want to get? I said, pepperoni. He said, can't eat that. I'm like, okay, sausage? He said, can't eat that either. <laughs> I said, okay, like, dude, what can you eat? He said, I can eat mushrooms. <laughs> I, said, I, said, I said, bro, like, they say, bruh, now I said, bro, cheese and mushrooms? He said, yeah, so we always got cheese. And to this day, I, yeah, that's like my big thing on pizza is cheese and mushrooms. Like, humbly lie, like the effect that you have. And so, you know, Brahim asked me a really simple question. You know, and, I, and humbly lie, I was never raised like that, that Prophet Isa alayhi salam was, was a law. But he just said, he said, for the people who say he is, who would he pray to? And that was the start of my journey. Because at the time, I had a girlfriend. And I asked her, I said, I said well, 
what do you say to this? And she got so angry. She got irate. And I said, huh, that's like a major red flag right there. And so, you know, to get that irate over a simple question that she was like tongue twisted to answer. And so once I went on to Kent State, I'll never forget. I'm sitting up on the second floor overlooking the commons there with my friend Fred Wheat. And, in, and this, is why, this is why I always say, this is not you. This is a law. And something just came over me. I said, I'm about to become Muslim. He said, what? Not in a way like it was bad. So I'm about to become Muslim. You know, just because I had a friend of mine, Morris Irvin from Cleveland Heights, he went there and he had become Muslim in high school. And, you know, we just started talking. And I said, I, you know, I'm talking about maybe a month into leaving Mercyhurst, I became Muslim. And it was a, it was a challenge, you know, you become, you become Muslim on a college campus. But Brahim, through the things that he said, and just my observation to him, I said, man, this is, this is right. Because there are certain things that never sat in my spirit before I became Muslim. You know, I'll never forget this. We were in the, uh, a guy had got inducted to the Heights Hall of Fame. He said, the first thing I'll do is thank my Savior, Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And it just never sat, it, it just never sat well with me. Even though I was raised Christian, I said, you know, that doesn't, that didn't move me like another human being taking the hit for what I did. And those things never made sense to me. And those are coming things that Brahim and I talked about. But, you know, I, I can honestly say him being black had nothing to do with it because I can just relate to anybody. But the things he said and what I watched him do, and I think that's as important for anybody, you know, watch how you behave because you are an ambassador to Islam whether you like it or not. I asked because when, when I became Muslim, uh, the first real Muslim I, I engaged with was another Filipino-American. Okay. And when I saw him, I saw myself. And... Um, brother Eugene Daytona in the Bay Area in California. May Allah reward him. I mean, yeah. So he was like the first exposure and um, he had been Muslim two years. So there's something about just relating on right. a different type of a level that... That is important. You, right, right. So, um, uh, but but that was something kind of significant with me. Um, so even though you didn't become Muslim in the company, while you were in the company with, with Brahim, you would later kind of just accept it on your own through Allah's guidance. Absolutely. Right, okay. So maybe to uh, switch gears a little bit, um, I guess the reason I was so excited to have Coach uh, uh, Kahari on the podcast was, I mean, in general, mashallah, I, I have a, a good opinion of him, but um, not only is he a, a, a practicing Muslim who's very serious about his, his Islam, his suluk to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, I talked about this a little bit in the paper that I put out a, a little bit ago about the need for people being Muslim not in the kind of 501c3 nonprofit, uh, you know like tax exempt church status consumer like you know like you go to Walmart and you just buy something and then you know you go back when you want to um, you know which which is kind of a culture of, of Dean that we have over here where a person may go to because we don't have like those deep social connections with our neighbors or with our you know extended families oftentimes um, so a person can go to Juma like, you know, five weeks in a row, sixth week. He's not there. Maybe because he's sick. Maybe he just didn't want to go. Maybe he, you know, maybe uh, God knows. And like the seventh week, he'll be back and nobody will ask, you know. So there's a little bit of a, like a flimsiness of commitment. And uh, one of the things that, 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 that made me want to uh, call someone like Coach is that on top of his extensive work with the youth, and on top of the fact that I see that, mashallah, his heart is really invested in their well-being 
and that like mashallah we regularly even before i came to cleveland mashallah we we, we have communication with each other that he'd have a question about uh, about dean or about uh, uh you know fiqh or something like that um in connection with what with some young person that he's trying to help through a crisis in his life and uh so uh so not only is he connected with the, the youth in a way that can really tell us about their issues uh in a way that you know it's we grow up and become old and become lame and forget about what it's like to be uh, to be in those situations really quickly. Um, but on top of that, he's a salik, you know, he's somebody who is a, a, a dedicated person on traveling the path to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, um, not on this flimsy basis, not on this wishy-washy basis, but I see him time and time again uh, uh, making himself present in all of those places where a Muslim needs to be. Uh, in order to in order to traverse that path to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala so I I wanted to kick it off by asking you this that you are in a unique position you know the challenges that young people go through um, in general in this country and in specific uh, those of our african-american brothers and sisters who are oftentimes ignored in the Muslim community um, and whose uh, needs kind of fall through the cracks and are not addressed the way that they need to be addressed and we're not saying this to like necessarily say bad to anybody or to like you know take a pot shot at nobody but in order to like you know maybe share some awareness so that people people who mean well but just didn't know any better you know can can start to make those decisions that they need to in order to you know to struggle to know in order to in order to start making those decisions that will facilitate um uh, you know those services for those young people and in particular I wanted to know about the african-american Muslim youth in the Cleveland area, but youth in general or african-american youth in general or Muslim youth in general uh, uh, Or you know issues, you know in general in the Cleveland area, you know Like I want to hear about those things like what is it that you want now that you have this platform the You know the people who listen to this podcast. What is it that they need to know in order to make better decisions? Um being a teacher in the public school system, you you see a lot, and so I, there has to be a space for these young people to come together, because if there if there's not, they're gonna destroy each other. I just you're gonna take some harm going through our public school system. I don't care what anybody says that you know if you haven't, a law is really really blessed you I, I, I second that <laughs> I literally wake up with the trauma and go to sleep with it at night <laughs> so I, you know so from that standpoint and I you know one thing I like about you and Sheikh Musa brother Tris it's about action and there has to be some type of plan that comes in place just talking like one thing that I know just talking to a lot of different young Muslims like we had one that played on our football team and his Adhan app would go off, and he would be so embarrassed. Because it's, you know, now me, you know me, I just don't care. I'll be addressing the team, and my Adhan app will go off, and I won't even, I will not hit the button. I'll let the whole Adhan go through while talking. Because, it, but for me, you know, that's just me. I'm comfortable in my own skin, but a lot of these young, young people, they are not. And so he would always come and pray with me. But I always make sure we pray in public so you get used to not being afraid of what other people think. And it's a natural thing. You know, you, you know some people are so hardcore, you should fear no one but the law. I say, okay, man, you know, <laughs> you, you know and, and so they put a, a rock on your chest like they did Bilal, then you crumble, you know, alayhi salam. So, um, Lahuan, excuse me. Um, so, we have to provide some spaces for them to be able to connect and talk to each other 
because there are a lot of influences pulling them a lot of different ways. I was talking to a former student. She said that they used to throw pepperonis at her. And, you know, it's we're, we're dealing with two different generations now. You're dealing with the, the ones in their 20s now. When 9-11 came along, it was always hard for them. And now you're dealing with a different set that have a lot of different issues, and it's this, it's this device right here. It's, it's causing irreparable damage, and we have to start finding ways to get them together so they can you know, be amongst each other because they're amongst a lot of people that don't have their same agenda. One of my students told me about you know, the LGBTQ thing is huge, and if you speak against it, then they make it seem like you're like, you're like you're like some you're like a Dajal. That's uh, that that that's how they make you feel. Antichrist, right? An antichrist. And so you know my my daughter, you know she she came home and said, Dad, they asked me about you know, do I believe in the in the uh, LG? I can't say all these letters, but do you believe in that? I said I said what do you tell them? I said no, I don't believe in that. And so but it's always it's a constant combat with them. And then you know you're being hit on different angles with the fornication, the adultery, the music, and I just you know I. I I think as parents, one thing parents need to know, you've got to be a step ahead of your children. You have to be. I think that's the story of the football coach in me comes where you have to be a step ahead of your opponent. You know, you have to always be on the lookout. And I, I'm sitting here and I, as I'm going through here, and I, I heard this song, and I looked up the lyrics, and it's, it's, it's horrible. I, I can't even repeat this stuff on, on the air, but it, it's a, call, a song called Savage. You look up the lyrics by Megan The Stallion. And some, some, of, some of the lyrics in here, just the degradation of women. And this is a woman talking about herself. And this is what our young Muslims are listening to. And they're doing all the dances and all these things. I think as parents, we really have to start being connected into what they are plugging into, what they're watching on TV. You know, like a lot of these kids, they like to watch the stuff on CW, whether it's The Flash, Arrow, Black Lightning, Riverdale. And there's CW? It's a, it's a it's a TV network, TV channel, and yeah. so but there's a every single show has some type of gay or lesbian relationship in it that adds nothing to the show, and so this is what our kids are are watching. This is the music that they're listening to. They're watching people shake their behinds on camera, and you're not going to talk about that stuff if you're around other Muslims. I just don't believe you will. Even these young kids, they won't talk about all these dances and stuff. I think they have to have a safe place to be together, to talk. Well, that means bring all the young Muslim brothers in, let them play ping pong. Let them play basketball in the masjid. Let the sisters do those kind of things as well. Because, you know, it's kind of like, it, it, it's you versus everybody. And you're the oddball. You know, I'm talking to one of my friends. He said, he said a, a guy, a, a, a player that uh, plays at college now, he said, coach, it was hard for me to just sit there and pray and stop one. He said, because you're so embarrassed. And that's one of the things that our kids are being are being combated with, you know. And this is all youth is just you know our Muslim youth is what are is they they feel so isolated, and a lot of the sisters they feel ashamed to wear the hijab, the brothers feel ashamed to wear a kufi to school, and so you know then they you know the one one sister she said you know they called me a terrorist and and things like that and they would make they, they would they would make fun of the way we say salam alaikum. They would just make fun of it and they, and make fun of Allah's name, and and so which is damaging to them on a on a different on the person saying on a different level. But for our kids, I honestly we have to have a safe space 
you know, because now they vent, they go to social media and they're trying to vent. And this is like not a therapeutic environment. No. You know, and so I guess to summarize, I get that they, they need that, that there has to be a way for all these Muslim youth to, to connect at the masjid, at a YMCA, somewhere where they can just be amongst other Muslims and just be able to interact and feel comfortable. Allahu Akbar. Feel comfortable doing that. Feel comfortable wearing your hijab. I guess, you know, I guess that would be a starting point for me. If I may chime in, um, so, uh, alhamdulillah, uh, Jazakallah khair, thank you so much for sharing all this information because uh, I think it's, this, this topic is so important and it is not spoken, um, spoken to enough. I also, uh, alhamdulillah, have been in a position where I am working with the youth uh, for many years uh, within the Muslim community and outside the Muslim community. Um, again, I work at the Cleveland Public Library and libraries are the stop between the school and home. Mm -hmm. So a lot of the same students that are in the schools, they stop at the library um, and they spend some time there before they go home. You know, we have uh, food bank programs and all kinds of activities and stuff for the youth. And so I totally understand exactly what you're talking about because there's a lot of the same things that happen in the libraries. And uh, it, unfortunately, uh, at times it's, a little crazier because library workers don't have the authority uh, that teachers kind of have. We don't have that connection to the home. We don't have that connection to the parents. And so they act, the youth can act a little more, you know, wild. And so we, we, we do deal with that. And what's important for us is building a relationship with the youth to kind of, you know, inshallah, hopefully inspire them to do better for themselves and things like that. But, um, as I started to say, also in the Muslim community, one thing that I have tried to talk about for years, and I still believe that this is very true, um, a lot of brothers and sisters who convert to Islam, um, we have a lot in common with the youth. Um, I was 25 when I made my Shahada, and immediately I found myself uh, dealing with the youth more frequently because we were kind of coming from a similar world, so to speak what they're dealing with in schools and what they're dealing with uh, in the streets and stuff like that, uh, we could relate. Uh, it was a little bit different because, you know, for myself and I think a lot of people who convert to Islam, we're kind of going away from that and we're going towards the deen and we want more of that. Whereas for a lot of our youth, they're kind of dealing with like a duality the attraction of the, of the attraction of the yeah, you know there's a part of the the dean that's at home and in the masjid but then you know there's the whole element of not being in either one of those places and so some of the youth would come to me and ask questions about like why i became muslim and so that conversation really opened up a lot of things whether it was certain issues that they were going through that they didn't feel comfortable about, comfortable talking to about with other people and things like that so i mean i say all of this to say the youth in general, Muslim or not, uh, they do need, they need uh, guidance, they need, they need assistance, and they need a lot from us, uh, our generation of people. Uh, and, and I'll kind of just end on this note because I don't want to like speak too much here, but uh, working with the youth frequently at the library, one thing that I found over the past two years or so is my interaction with the youth, um, subhanAllah, like over time, some of them came to me and, and said things like, we appreciate or we're happy about the fact that you seem to care about us. 
just because they're so accustomed to no one really paying attention to them, no one actually talking to them about what's important to them. So I think you're 100% right. We do need to build like safe spaces um, that are not, <laughs> and I say this, uh, uh, just being really direct about it, that safe spaces that are not corny, you know, um, because the youth, they, they're not going to come to something just because we built something that's like, oh, you know, this is a cool thing, you know, you should come to it. Absolutely. You know what I mean? And um, I, just to peg, piggyback off of that, this whole like, hey, dude, Islam, <laughs> good Lord. <laughs> Protestantism tried that in America, and that's why their churches are empty. They basically parasitically took the attendance from mainline serious Protestant uh, churches to this whole like, you know, like rock band, Jesus, like, you know, like weird, like, you know, like type of setup, which filled, you know, it filled the, it filled the, uh, the, the, you know, put bums on seats uh, to put the show business uh, analogy to work. But it's so empty that like when right. people realize it's empty, then they just check out from Dean altogether, they're, you know? Yeah, they're gone. And so, I mean, there's so much, mashallah, coach. I mean, along that line, okay, one of the things that I, I, we were talking about before we started um, filming was what? The strange parallels between your, uh, as, a, as a Muslim, between a, a person's spiritual development and how it's more like the experience of being coached on a sports team than being taught in a classroom. Like a person has intellectual development that's more like a, analogous, an analogous to the classroom. And then you have, you know, like your spiritual development, though it's not like that. It's not like, you know, turning your homework by, by Friday. It's more like, you know, I need more hustle, you know, uh, get a move on it, you know, drop down, give me 20 push-ups because you didn't do this right or whatever, you know. And so how is it like, you know, instead of being on the back foot, like, oh, look, the world is like going to sack the Islam of like every young person because... To be honest, you know, mobile phones and like alphabet soup is like a, a very scary thing to be up against. But to kind of be on the front foot and like proactive, how is it that we can make those meaningful spaces that we can challenge our young people right. into into being respectable people spiritually and to being respectable human beings as well? Um, how is it that we can employ those th those techniques as a coach that you that that you're adept at using in order to bring those things out of your players for the sake of our uh, youth and their dean? I think the, the first thing is that, like you said, you can't water down Islam because we do that, then, you know, you, 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 have to, you have to be smart about how you do it, but you can never water down the dean. But I think ultimately these kids, just like, just like a player, they want to be challenged. And so... The players who challenge you the most, the, the players who are challenged the most, respect you the most. And so, you know, we have a guy that's at Ohio State right now, and he was always challenged. And he respected that, but we have to challenge the youth and just be straight up, up front and honest with them. I told one person, I said, I was talking to a, a former student, I said, What's the first thing asked about on Yamu Kiyama? She said, The prayer. Oh, I said, sure. I said, Allah's giving you the first answer to the quiz. Now, I'm, I'm not saying, I'm not saying that, I'm not, I, I said, so how can you know that the first question is Salat and you don't pray? You have to be direct and honest. I said, oh, now, I'm, I'm not talking about the quality of your prayer. Whether, you know, the, the whore comes in at, what, like, sometimes during your brother, we want to have a movie night in the masjid. 
Yeah, and and, and, and you, know, you know what? And and that's fine. Just find the right movie to show. Yeah. You know, how, how, however that may be, I'm not even that's not, that's above my pay grade. But if so, if Dohor comes in at one thirty-seven and you play it at play it at three, that's one thing. But just not praying at all. Yeah. You know, uh, and then your 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 focus and slot. That's something totally different. But the fact that you know that the if you can tell me out your own mouth that the prayer is the first thing on the day of judgment and you don't pray, mind blown. And you just have to be direct with. And I was direct with a, a former student, and she said, "You know what? That makes a lot of sense, Mr. Hicks." I said, "That's all I'm saying. I'm not saying about, you know, if you're praying it at its at its at its recommended time versus praying at the end. I'm just saying praying in general. Pray the five daily prayers, because that's far. There's no negotiating in that. Me, me and my daughter had a conversation about that. There are certain things. There's no negotiating. You have to make the five prayers, and you have to be direct with them. Mm-hmm. You know, and but like like the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi was all about balance." Not taking the stick and beating it over their head because then at that point they've got so many like they've got so many other things they can turn to. Yeah, I can go to the movies with with, with and, and go and go hang out with this boy that I think is really cute or this girl that I really like. I can do that, but if we're just gentle with them, but we're direct and we're honest and we're upfront, and we try to bring the dean to them in a way that they understand. And I'm and I'm not saying water it down. That is your gentleman's pay grade. You all understand the dean. You're way, you're 100 percent more qualified to teach than me, but putting it in a way that they understand, putting situations in their life that they understand. You've said someone, you've had someone make racial racial comments to you. Bring up the story of Bilal and uh, Ray Lahuan, and then you talk about you you taught about the Sahaba's promised paradise. There's lessons in every one of those uh, situations that can apply to us, and obviously the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. But you know you've got to you know, you've got to get to the kids when they're young, give them a foundation because that's what you said. He said at some point. The um, default setting kicked in because that's what happened to me. It just it just hit me, and I think we have to be honest with these kids, but we also have to give them an opportunity to to be kids. And that's why I said let them play basketball in the masjid. There, you know, and, and someone can correct me. I don't think there's anything wrong with playing basketball. Go in there, have some fun. Whether that's the brothers playing by themselves, the sisters play playing them by themselves. If you like to play some type of board game, play it. Get them together and talk Dean. Give them both. Because these young kids, I'm sorry, we're not sitting here. I mean, most of these kids, they're not in a madrasa learning, learning Quran. They're just not. And that's just the reality of things. But these kids right here, they need to have Dean and they need to be able to just connect and not feel pushed off by the Dean because there's so many of us that we just push people away. So, so one thing I'd like to add to that, uh, I think you're 100% right, but... Dealing with the youth, one thing that I've noticed, and I'm kind of asking a question here more than making a statement because I also don't know, but uh, the youth in the in the message that I have dealt with over the years, one of the things that I notice as a common uh, thread amongst them is uh, a, a lack of sense of uh, a lack of the sense of belonging, and so. Uh, mashallah, before we started, uh, you two were talking about the the analogy of using sports uh, and teaching things about the dean. And the first thing that uh, came to my mind was, you know, with sports teams, there's a sense of belonging. You belong to something. Mm. And so you th- that sense of uh, belonging is almost like a sense of ownership. So you feel like I'm contributing to something. Mm-hmm. And with a lot of the youth, um, what I've noticed is they lack that. They, they don't feel like they're a part of anything. They kind of feel like outcasts to a certain degree. And so they kind of just get in where they fit in. And that is um, something that I just wonder 
are we doing a good job of? And so I, I kind of pass this on to people who know more than I do, but uh, how can we, what can we do about that? Like when it comes to that sense of belonging, because just telling the youth to practice a dean um, when they kind of know it, you know, like you said, you asked the sister that question and she knows the answer to it because she's, she's been taught that, but she's not living it. It's not a, a reality for her or for the young men that might be in that boat. Like, what can we do to strengthen that element of a sense of belonging to something and with something? And before they answer, she didn't know. Oh. And that's a problem in of itself. She didn't know? No, did not. she did not know. Oh, and that's a problem, in a, which okay. is a separate conversation. Hold on. Mm. I mean, one of the nice things about being a coach is you can be straight up. You can be straightforward, right? And... Um, uh, that's why Sheikh Hamza mentions there's a strong parallel between sports and coaching, a stronger parallel between coaching and sports than, uh, you know, and, and being a Muslim trying to tread the path mm. than there is with like a classroom setting, mm. right? Because you can't always sugarcoat the truth. You have to be very upfront. Right. However, when you coach a particular athlete, they're usually there because they want to be there. So they're willing to listen to you. Mm. Especially in football, football coaches are the most straight up, straightforward, right? They they're not going to sugarcoat anything, right? They will scream down your neck, and 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 make sure that you understand. And why will they take it? Because they love football, and they want to be on the field, and they don't want to get benched. Mm. And they were raised like watching in the NFL and seeing, you know, uh, 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 these athletes uh, excel. So they've, they want to be there. So you can tell them what they want to hear. It's hard sometimes to be that straight up and that straightforward with the Muslim youth, especially if they, they're not feeling their deen and they haven't understood their Absolutely. faith and they're not appreciating that because now you're just trying to tell it. Now it's more of the classroom where you're trying to get them to like do their geometry homework and they don't want to, mm. right? So that's a, another challenge in itself. Um, uh, but we have to find a way to like, make sure the dean from a young age is beloved to our kids and to the youth because it's hard to fix it once they're already at a point that they're resenting the dean. Mm. So the person, people in your life, it's important that they meet the right people in their life, the people who can kind of get across to them mm. and get through to them. Um, otherwise, it, it's, hard to get, it's hard to get around that. You can't just be straightforward to anybody. Alana was best. Yeah. And I think also, too, is that you'll receive a message from a coach that you respect and you care about that you know is invested in you. So if you invest in these kids and you listen to them, like, think about what you just said. They don't feel included. How many times in Masha do we ever even include any kid in the decision-making? You know, and, and, and our ego, our knives get so tied up in it. I'm the adult. You're the kid. And the law says you're supposed to obey your parents. It doesn't even say that in the Quran. It doesn't even say it. Correct me if I'm wrong. It doesn't say you have, to, you have to obey your parents. You have to treat them well, right? That, well, I mean, you know, I, in the I, sense of in the sense of, yeah, like it's not a master slave right. uh, relationship. And this is one thing, you know, along the lines of what you're saying. If anybody had the right from amongst God's creation to be obed uh, without hesitation, it was the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. And he does have that. He does have that right from us. Mm -hmm. However, uh, 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 
that that Allah Taala Allah Taala mentions this as like part of the shafaqa and part of the mercy and the kindness of the Prophet which is the reason we love him sallallahu alaihi wasallam is that he used to ask opinions from people and so if he's going to ask opinion from somebody it's no you know it's no uh, 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 decrease or discount on anyone's respect to ask for the opinion of anybody even if you don't end up following it sometimes it's just like somebody cares that you're there and this is one of the reasons you know I I feel like. Uh, I, I, I was compelled to, uh, you know, uh, have this discussion with you also, Shaykh, is that one of the things our elders told us, you know, is that when you're calling people to, toward the deen, if you don't love them, and if you don't see them as worthy of being uplifted by Islam, if you don't see, if you don't wish inside of your heart good for them, you know, uh, you, you will never make da'wah uh, to them in any useful way, shape or form. If you see yourself as better than them, or you're, you know, bringing like, you know, some sort of like, you know, like gift of your charity to like an ignorant savage or whatever, you will never, you will never uh, uh, touch their heart. And I think part of that is like, you know, uh, maybe the balance between what Sheikh Musa and uh, what what Coach and I maybe were saying before is that you have to bring that powerful spiritual game. Uh, not that it's a game, but you have to bring that power. You have to bring that spiritual power when you tell somebody about the salat. You have to bring that spirit, and that that comes through what? It comes through ikhlas. It comes through making a person feel. Uh, you know, you don't have to pump their ego up, but you have to make them feel like you're important to them. You know, that you mean something to them. That you're not just like a, a like a, like a notch in someone's belt. You know, some people do that. They they dole out shahadas, and then afterward, like the next day, someone calls them and asks them about something. They're like, no, no, you're now you're in the bag. So we're gonna move on to the next uh, you know victim or whatever. Um, you know, you got to, you know, the, like the spaces, you know, you were talking about. And that ties in with what we were talking about from before that 501c3 optional Islam, you know. Uh, nobody feels like they belong. When you're an adult and you're like, well, I got to get stuff done at work and I'm going to come to Jummah like at the last moment and I'm going to, you know, miss two Jummahs and then go to the third one because I heard there's a hadith that like says that, you know, like it's really bad if you miss three in a row or whatever. You know, that's, that's, in some some rat race sense, there's a convenience in it, right? You can't grow up on that, though. You know, you can't grow up on that. You can't grow up in like, you know, like you see your own your own folks are not praying on time. You see that they're not taking the deen seriously. They're not taking the ulama seriously. They're not taking the ilm seriously. They're not taking the, the, the obligation to make progress in the spiritual path seriously. But then afterward, they're like, <gasps> my son's gay. <gasps> you know, my daughter has a Kafir boyfriend. <gasps> I, you know, my, 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 my boy is smoking weed or like drinking alcohol or whatever. Like, like you, at that point, why is, you know, like why, what universe is that, you know, going to any of that going to make sense in for anyone? I just think the relationship piece is so important though, Sheikh. You know, with the Prophet Sallallahu Islam, you know, people were drawn to him and they loved him so it's very so that they're willing to listen not that any of us are the prophet Islam. but if we want to get the youth to listen to us there has to be some investment on our end because you know we're trying to help them just like other people have been trying to help us and so like Sheikh Musa was just was, was elaborating on earlier you know you you have to make them feel comfortable you know when, when they come in and if they like you they're going to listen to you and that doesn't mean you're trying to be like you said, some of the, the cool person and the rock and roll type stuff. No, it's just that it's like Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Like, you know, we know food's at the basement of the pyramid, but we know there's also part of that belonging piece that if there's not, if they don't belong to something, they're going to go to something else. So if there's something missing, 
They might chase drugs. They might chase a gang. Some join a sports team because it gives them a sense of belonging. So if they are drawn to specific individuals, then the message that comes out their mouth, they'll listen to. Now, that could be for a good or for a bad thing. They could be drawn to me because, like, hey, man, you know, I, you know, I know people, and this happens all the time in school, especially these young ladies. You look really nice today. Your hair is really pretty. And that's the first good compliment they've heard all day. Next thing you know, they, they, they're ready to you know, commit fornication because someone said, I care. And so for our standpoint, and this is real. And not the same. And parents, if you want to know that this is what happens in the classroom, there's a guy sitting next to your daughter shooting his shot, as they say right. now. That's the thing. Right. When I was in school, it was like, they had to spit your game. Now it's like they shoot their shot. And these guys, they shoot their shot every single day. Right. It happens every day. And if you don't believe that it happens, I'm here to tell you, it happens every day. I hear locker room talk. I have to correct it. I see things in the hallway. I'm like, oh, my goodness. And, and they're shooting their shot. And every day, your daughter is getting a shot shot at her. Your son is getting a different type of shot shot at him. And so right. if we don't, as parents, start off with that relationship and build that foundation. And, and, and anybody that's trying to work with you, if we don't have a relationship with them, it doesn't matter what we say. And so if we know that this dean can save you if we don't build the relationship. And that's the coaching piece. You know, the best coaches are the best communicators, not tyrants. They're the best communicators. And if we make these youth understand, like, you know, let's sit down and talk. What matters to you? Right. And then, you know, once I know what matters to you, I know what makes you tick because the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, so he didn't go at everybody the same way. Right. You know, he find, you know, he would find, you know, I know there's one person there. I think he he made the person's, the, the person's, the cow's, or the thing's milk turn. And the person took shahada that way. Mm -hmm. And so this, the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi he reached people in different ways. And so we just have to find out what makes these youth tick. And so I'm saying we just have to be, I'm not saying that we have to all be on social media like that, but we need to understand what are they listening to? What type of music do they listen to? What type of TV do they, I'm not saying you have to go and watch what they watch, but you had better have a general idea of what's going on inside their head because you'll never be able to reach them. And it's, it's a constant battle. I noticed that about you because just at the beginning of the podcast, you looked up, you looked up a song just to hear, just so you're aware of what the lyrics are. Oh man, my, my, my brain is fried. <laughs> I mean, reading. it's, 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 right, it's, it's, it's horrible. Right. We, we, I can't believe they listen to this kind of stuff. <laughs> well, my dad said the same thing about it. It can't be all just, you know, well, I don't listen to music and you know, if you really want to connect and reach certain people, you might actually have to look up those lyrics. You don't have to listen to the song, but you might want to know what's being said. Right, right. And, um, and that's the coach in you. And, and that's the coach and the communication to be able to reach people. Because um, even my most impactful coach, um, he was the strictest coach I ever had and the loudest coach I ever had too. And whenever he came very um, loud at me, it was, it was always well received because I know it came out of love. He used to say that, um, you know, after being called dad, the best thing I, I think to be called is, is coach. The thing that I enjoy being called is coach. And little things like that, he communicated that. He like let us actually know that he cared, right? And he was open about us about, you know, with, with, with that, um, with those feelings that he had. And um, talk about parents and relationship with their kids. I don't know if we're in a time where you can just simply expect your kids to just obey you and listen to you and you come in and you're like, expect them to straighten up just by looking at you by your presence. There needs to be some type of an interaction, especially if they're in the public school system, and especially if they're engaging with these people um, who have a very, very different lifestyle because they're being socialized a particular way. And you learn sometimes 
you know, more just from socialization than you ever will at, you know, in a classroom. They're spending more time out of the house than they are in the house. So uh, having that is, is definitely important for sure. Along the lines of uh, uh, what we were or what you were uh, mentioning about belonging as well, I mean, one of the problems I think is that uh, oftentimes in the masjid space or in religious spaces, um, you know, as as an adult or as a person who's an authority, uh, we have to be a little bit conscious about the choices we make uh, if we don't give that same encouragement to. Uh, the children of different backgrounds. If we, if the African American student uh, or a young person in the youth group or whatever is not greeted with the same enthusiasm, or if we see that they're out of place and we don't give them, you know, that uh, affirmation proactively, uh, those kids grow up and then they real, they, you know, they, they remember those things and they carry the, 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 the pain, the anguish of it with them. And people say, well, I didn't mean it that way. And you don't, you know, okay, you didn't mean it that way. Great. You know, like we'll give you the Nobel Prize. You know, you're not going to go, no one's going to pray for you to go to Jahannam if you actually didn't mean it that way. But uh, there is, you know, intentions are, intentions are important, but they're not the whole thing. We have to also like learn, you know, like how to, how to do things the right way. And the Rasul Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, he had, he had this, you know, these beautiful habits. You know, he, he would say something like, um, you know, affirming the piety of what of rubbing your hand on the head of an orphan child right orphan being an orphan is like the superlative estrangement you know you don't you literally don't have any parents you know and so the prophet uh, he, he mentioned that this is you know this is from the great acts of piety from those things that soften the heart is what you find that that child who's estranged um, whether it be through a disability, whether it be for racial, ethnic reasons, whether it be for socioeconomic reasons, whether it be through some trauma that they went through, uh, whatever it is, and do that. You know, just something like you know, sit them next to you in the in the youth group, or give make sure that they eat first when the food is being distributed, or when whatever. Like you know, we have like whatever, we give out Snicker bars that our youth halaka, Allah subhanahu wa taala, bring it back soon, inshallah, uh, from from lockdown. Um, you know. What, what, what is it, you know, what are those practical things that you can share with somebody who's in that position that they can, they can try to mitigate the, first of all, see, the, see what the signs of estrangement is, are, are and how can they mitigate those, that, those feelings of estrangement from those people who are, or maybe don't feel as welcome, at, you know, at first uh, in, in the group. Are you asking me? Yeah. Uh, I think, well, everyone, but I, yeah. I, I, think our, I think our kids are, I think, I think our Muslim children and our youth in general, they're estranged from our deen, you know. And whatever are the causes to that are things where we just, we have to take a, a, a deep a, a deep look. And I just, I, I, I honestly said, like, even when I first met you, the first thing, we, we just started communicating immediately. And that's so important is that we have to talk to these kids. And we, as parents, they have to bring their kid to the masjid. You know, even their daughters, bring your daughters bring your daughters and let them sit with the older women let them and some people like you said they have a problem with like a little two-year-old running around in the back of the masjid they have a problem with that but that, like you said that stuff that gets ingrained in your mind you remember that stuff that stuff come like you like you enjoy going to the masjid and i i, I could tell you for any parent please make sure that your experience in the masjid is a good one because you know we we dreaded coming to church two and a half hours no one listened to you. 
you know, and it was a it was a drag, you know. And so uh, when you're making your chutbas, make them engaging, you know, like you know, because you know if you, if we want to draw these youth in, there has to be, you know, constant communication. I, I keep saying that, and I guess from my from my standpoint, we we like you said, your youth programming, we have to have this youth programming, and if parents aren't going to bring their kids to the masjid. They shouldn't be surprised when you said, oh, my son's gay. And now all of a sudden, now you're on a totally different thing that you're trying to fight. Or my daughter's pregnant. You know, the, 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 and these, these things happen. And we, uh, I try to talk to teachers from Maslow's Pyramid. You know, if you sit down and eat with those students, you're going to find out everything. Mm. You know, and, and they tell you stuff. And you're like, man, sometimes they tell you stuff. You just have to downright report. And for our youth, the biggest problem right now is parenting. They're not being parented. This is non-Muslim youth and Muslim youth. Yeah. You know, and, and until we get a handle on that, and, and that's the part that's very disheartening as a teacher, you get a lot of conversations and hear a lot of things. You're like, man, this is, this is borderline, and this is borderline, I take that back, it is child abuse. And we have to we have to sit down and have conversation. Like you said, bring that if you're a brother, bring that brother next to you. Saw Ankum, how are you doing? How are things? If you're the sister, bring the sister in. Talk to them, because uh, the, the sisters have a different set of issues, and um, people understand that hijab is under attack. I, I'm glad you brought that up. Can we hone in on that? Because you, you know you I know you are very positive and impactful in the lives of both your male and female students. What are some of the unique issues that 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 the 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 male students uh, are experiencing? What are some of the unique issues that the female students are issuing because are, are experiencing? Because unfortunately, we don't have that same uh, um, that same level of facilitation for uh, girls in the masjid space and in the Muslim spaces. Um, we very rarely break even with the with the boys, and even what we're doing for the boys is is insufficient. And like that thing that you mentioned, you know, like it's one of those things in our culture for whatever messed up reason. And when I say culture, I mean Desi culture, Arab culture, or whatever. It's not universally there, but there is some lingering jahiliya from you know in people's thing. They don't, they just don't celebrate their daughters like they should. And it's like, dude, you got to tell your, your, your baby girl, I love you. You got to tell her she's beautiful. Otherwise, she's going to listen to it. She needs to hear it from someone. And if, he, if she doesn't hear it from, from you or from her brother, you know, uh, from her husband, uh, for those of you who are married, you know, from if, she, if, you, if you ain't telling your wife how beautiful she is, how pretty she is, how much she means to you, uh, she needs to hear it from somebody. She's going to hear it from the wrong person. And at that point, you know, you can kick and scream, haram, you know, how could she do this? But like... So what are some of those things, coming back to the question, specific issues for the boys, specific issues for the girls? For the boys, it's lack of modeling of what a man should be. Mm. And this is crossing all lines. I talked to one person. Um, he's Arab, very good football player, has no father in his life. Mm. And this is, is he an orphan or is it just that his father just father ain't, ain't getting it done? More bounce to the out shake. He bounced. You know, and this, and this, and this is, and this is just, and it's a mother trying to raise a young man on her own. And this is a common thing amongst our youth is that with the boys, it's, it's what is projected as what being manly means. Right. And and excuse my language, but in the, in the songs, money, hoes, and clothes, this is what's being 
put out there to the, this is what being a man means. You got money, you got girls, you have doing your possessions and all the music. I mean, all the music, it's what's projected out there. It's what's projected in the media. And this is what it means to be a man. Sleep with as many girls as you can, treat them however you want, you know, and, and you're, and, you know, and you're this hard body that has no emotions, but then you get those boys alone and you start to talk to them then they just they they break down into tears because there are so many it's like the ship and it's got 18 different holes and you're trying to plug each hole and that ship's just gonna sink but for the boys they need proper male modeling how do you talk to women because this is a a serious issue how do you treat women for and i'm sorry non-muslims and muslims alike um, that, that that's the biggest test for men is women how do you treat them because everything that these boys are seeing, they're being inundated. And that's just, a hadith, by the way. You know, I mean, that's not just coach. The coach is dropping hikmah for sure, but that's a the Rasul Salah mentioned. Islam. Yeah. And so it's they're being inundated with it every single day, and in the classroom and in on the football field, we have constant conversations. This is how you treat women. You don't walk around and look at this woman as some object to get in bed with and then to impregnate. And, and that's it. You're like a rooster. That just goes around the hen house just impregnating. I said, because and I, I had to check one kid. I said, I said, you're like the rooster, but you just don't get up for fudger. Right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm like the rooster. Yeah. That's a good one. Yeah. But yeah, I, I said, I said, you know, you talk about these girls and call them all kinds of names. I said, dude, where's your, where's your dad? He said, he gone. I said, so what do you think he did to your mom? He said, he got her pregnant and he bounced. I said, so you going to repeat the cycle? I said, do you want your, I said, do you want your son to feel the way you do? And and you get them in closed space. That's why it's a safe space. You get they're gonna cry, they're gonna break down, and they're gonna talk about all the issues at play because they're being poisoned with this thing, this toxic. And then you have the toxic masculinity, you know, which is a totally different issue. But that's the biggest thing with these boys is no one's teaching them how to be men because so many men they're they're they're, they're just bouncing. And, and feel no responsibility. And so then the young ladies, they allow themselves to be disrespected and the guys feel like it's okay and it's just your knives, you're, you know, and, and you just end up with this vicious cycle. For the girls, it's, it's the lack, and I guess the same thing, it's the lack of the father. So many of these girls, they don't have a father and some of them for different reasons. One of my former students, her dad was murdered by Israelis. They shot, they, they shot and killed him. And she says, I still see in my dreams him being shot and killed. That's psychological trauma that we don't even want to talk about. This is the PTSD that we don't want to address. And so these girls, they don't have a lot of male, positive male influences. And you, you've got to, and you have to imagine, put this from a girl standpoint. I see my mom every day, every third day, she has a different guy in the house. So different person is sleeping with her and leaving. It's just like taking and going. And and so you see that stuff enough, you start to think that's what your value is. And then so a, a student said to me one, I'll never forget this. I said, Mr. Hicks, I, she got an A on the side. I said, oh, Mr. Hicks, you love me. I said, how do I, how's me giving, you earning an A equate to me loving you? And it's because they don't have anyone telling them. And so from that standpoint, they're being inundated. This is how you dress. You wear these booty tight shorts, you walk around, you put your body out there, and, and, and you know, and and you know, you go around looking for a suitor, and and it's and it's like it's like literally it's caveman type stuff, where you just beat the woman over the head and drag her back. It's like this is what they're being conditioned, and it's the music. I'm rat. I'm telling you, I'm ratchet. I'm bougie. I'm a B I T C H. Like this is what they're listening to, 
And these are their models. This is these are their advisors. That is their role models. These are their role models because their mom, their mom's not home, their mom's not modeling, and so someone has to teach them their self worth. Like you just can't just get in bed with someone because they say I like you. And and, and so I mean from that standpoint, that's the area where these girls are different from the guys. The guys, it's about this this bravado, tough guy stuff, and teaching them how to be a man with the woman it's the self-respect and it's 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 a it's a vicious cycle because the girls want the love the guys want to be the um the 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 big the big guy all the girls and it's just it's back and forth and back and forth and you know yeah and and now you're starting you you have girls that are psychologically damaged because they've been they've been in bed with so many different guys and, and and then you've got the guys they don't understand what love is and because they've been abandoned, and this is abandonment on both sides. And the thing is, society doesn't think of it this way, but you know, we all oftentimes put the stigma of that damage on the women. And those guys are damaged. They're damaged. They're damaged. And, you know, I, I just like to add to this, you know, what makes it even more complicated, going back to the parenting piece, is that the parents are also a product of the same environment. They're damaged, too. It's, right. the, it's the same music that the parents are listening to, and they're trying to live that lifestyle because, uh, you know, I'm 37 and I know that many other people my age are on, on the same note. They're on the same thing. They're listening to the same music and that's the lifestyle that they want to live. And so, um, you know, you hear the statement, you know, babies raising babies. That's mm-hmm. something that I've heard many times like in our community. And so uh, in mid and late thirties, going to your forties, you're not a baby anymore. But if you still have that mentality and you're raising those children that were born around 9-11, you know, subhanAllah. It, you it, never it had a chance it, to live your life. Yeah. It, 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 it and now, becomes, now you're it, living it yours a, at the expense yeah, of your kids. It becomes a really big issue. Not to mention the domestic shake and shake. That's another issue. Well, I've got I've got female students. They're getting knocked upside their head at, at a very young age. And then the guys, they're doing it. But where are they getting it from? The TV. You know, put your hands on her. You know, and it, this is the kind of stuff that, you know, this, it, it, that those, those are the issues. It, teaching the men how to be men. Right teaching the women to love themselves. But like you said, you've got severely damaged men mm-hmm. that are completely incapable of functioning a relationship. And you've got women, they, they're damaged in a way that they turn men away. So when, when, when you get old enough to when you can really be in a marriage, marital situation, all the default settings that have been programmed, they just surface. You know, and then it, it just it's, it, it completes complete and total dysfunction. But like you said, when you meet the parents, you kind of see it. Yeah, it's, inter- it's, it's interesting in the immigrant community as well. Uh, I think a lot of the the expectation is like, well, we don't deal with those things because we didn't deal with them from where we came from, and it's just going to stay that way. And I got a mortgage to pay, so mother work, father work. You know, mother work overtime. You know, bring home the halal bacon. Father work overtime. Bring home the bacon. And, uh, you know, as long as you keep doing good in school, you'll get money. And since our problem when we were kids was poverty um, and we solve it through money, as long as you do good in school, you'll solve your problems through money as well. And uh, oftentimes, even some of the most accomplished professionals, their children come out basically victim to the same cycle, which is common through public schools and through the phones and media and things like that. It's common to immigrant and uh, uh, native and uh, uh, native and indigenous um, uh, Muslim children, they are subjected to it uh, as well. Why? Because the parents thought that 
if they could give a little less time and give a little bit more money, they'll solve the problems. Um, where money is not going to solve the problem that's not there with time. And this is, I think, a good segue to something which is which also needs to be discussed. And I, I you know, Sheikh Tamim, uh, he he compiled the book about Futua, about the chivalrous character uh, of a man, uh, according to the teachings of Islam. Uh, Sheikh Abdul Karim Yahya in Detroit, Imam Dawood Walid, they actually have a Futua program, you know, uh, uh, it, for training the young men to be upright men. And one of the problems is we don't, you know, the, the age that we live in, uh, um, it sees patriarchy as a negative thing. The word patriarchy has come to have a, a, a negative connotation. And yes, there is such a thing as toxic masculinity, but if you are not giving a space, like Coach was saying, where you allow boys to aspire to be a man, if you don't respect men, if you don't respect husbands, if you don't respect fathers. This is one of the things that annoys the, 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 the smack out of me. Whenever there's a, a, a marriage and someone gets up and gives a talk at a marriage, there's always a joke, it's always at the expense of the husband. And it doesn't annoy me, why? Because my ego is bruised. I mean, sometimes the jokes are funny as well, you know? Like whatever, we can all laugh at it. The thing is, there's an institution, just like you don't want kids to take their parents as a joke. You don't want students to take their parent, their teachers as a joke. You don't want young people to take elders as a joke. You know they can have a free relationship with them, in which uh, there's a little bit of lightness. But there's a bedrock, a foundation of what that you respect this person in order to you know get something out of it. We 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 have completely made being a man into a joke. And uh, if you don't respect a man for behaving like a man, because what is shim, uh, you know what is the shima to rijal is al ata. The, the, the cardinal virtue of being a man is that you give. I mean, both in a biologically literal sense, but then in a spiritual sense, you embody that in, 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 in everything that you do, that you're the one who gives from yourself. You're the one that everybody, you're, you know, you, if you're a real man, you will, if only one person in the group should be hungry, one person in the family should be hungry, it's you, everyone else should eat. If one person should be tired, it should be you, everybody else should be rested. If one person should, you know, like, you give. But if you don't, you know, if you make that into a joke, who's going to want to do that? And if a man isn't a man, it's not only going to screw up our boys, it's going to screw up our girls. It's not only going to screw up things at school, it's going to screw up our families. It's going to screw up our masjid. So you know, if there, nobody is, nobody, we don't, and it's so hard, Sheikh Musa, it's so hard to find people. You know, even it affects us, it affects people, like imams, it affects like leaders. There's nobody who wants to give anymore. Everyone wants to take, 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 take. And uh, this manly virtue, it's so hard to find anybody with it anymore. If we don't have, you know, spaces where we get together and we uh, at least respect the fact that like, you know, a man is someone to be respected. You know, a man is some, someone valuable. A man is somebody that we, you know, that we love as, 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 as men and as women, as children, teachers, students, wives, husbands, you know, like if you tell a woman, respect your husband, people automatically think oh, you're enabling abuse. I said, no, I'm not saying that you should like, you know, throw him a party because he beat you. You know, if that's happening, call the police. You know what I mean? That's an excellent call, point. Call, call, call the police. But if he's, if he's, I mean, he's, if he's, if he's putting food on the table and he takes out the trash and he, all that stuff, you know, like he's, he's your man. You should, you know, it's the pride of your family. You should, you should respect him. And those of few of us who are like lucky to have, you know, that dynamic in our houses, you know, um, maybe, you know, that, that's, a, that's a rare and rare uh, 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 gift Allah has given us. But uh, um, I think part of the solution to this 
you know, lies with this like very underlying fault that what is it, right? The, the, the whole thing about like, you know, someone said, oh, look, Sheikh, you're very passionate against Black Lives Matter. I said, stuff Why would you say that? So you wrote that paper. I go, no, I'm very passionate for Black Lives Matter. But why is it that like, you know, verbiage like we're here to disrupt uh, cisgender family patriarchal dynamics and we're, you know, here to, uh, you know, basically gender confusion, like Imam Dawood says, that just muddle the line between a man and a woman. If, if you don't empower men to act like men, then then what is it? You're just going to completely like rot the, the entire thing from the from, from, from its foundation. It's not like, look, you know, people look at me, so oh, look, your turban and beard, this guy's a psycho. I don't lose sleep at night because someone's gay. If that's the test Allah Ta'ala gave you, if that's what you do behind closed doors, people commit their sins. I don't approve of it, but like, you know what I mean? It's a thing that happens amongst a number of other things that happen. But when we use that in order to undermine uh, to undermine the, 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 the entire foundation of, of the family, to undermine uh, masculinity, healthy masculinity and healthy manhood, it's not just going to screw up our boys. It's a trickle-down effect. It's going get to get to the girls because there's right. no family structure. Right, right. Uh, but I, I think that's part of the thing, though, is like you said, but we have to teach these boys how to be men and teach the women how to be women, but there's some, and that's a societal issue with battling. Like, if you say that, you know, you know, obey your husband, that's looking at it like, oh my God, oh, now, now you're his servant. No, that's, that's not what was said because the Prophet he was always in the service of his family. So he served his family, mm -hmm. you know, and I think that's, that, that's the biggest thing though, is like when you watch these young girls and young boys, they're in the minor leagues of dysfunction. Mm -hmm. And so by the time they're ready for the major leagues, they're completely, totally dysfunctional completely incapable of, of maintaining any kind of quality relationship. They have no social skills, they have no interpersonal skills, and it, it, it's, it's, you know, it's creating, dysfun it's creating dysfunctional families. You have men that have no desire to get married. You have women who, and let me backtrack, you have men who have no desire to get married, nor would they make a suitable spouse anyway, and you have women who want to get married, but they're so flawed and damaged that a, a decent man won't want them. And, and, and it's just, it's a, it's a, it's a bat. You bounce the ball, comes right back up. And it, it's a, it's a continuing thing. We have to find a way to like deflate the ball. So this thing doesn't keep bouncing back and forth. But I, I think it still comes back to, you know, getting, getting with these youth and talking to them and getting them into the masha, getting it in front of people of knowledge. So then you all can do your work because I have my work to do. You've got your work to do, but at communally, you know, and I used to talk about like the African American youth. They have an even more difficult situation because they're taking this hip hop culture to the like, you know, white kids and Arab kids and Asian kids. They'll listen to this hip hop, but they're not internalizing it. Our black kids are taking this and running like this is gospel. Like this is just you know one of the worst things that ever happened to hip hop was N.W.A. One of the worst things to ever ever happen because if you study the roots of it, and I'll keep going back to music. Because parents better pay attention. Your kids listen to hip-hop. <laughs> Trust me. Brothers, Molana Sop know what the NWA is. Your kid is not going to get by. If you don't know what it is, Molana Sop knows what it is. Molana Musa, you know what it is? <laughs> you, know, you guys may not even want to pray Salat behind us after, after knowing what that means. But, you know, when they look at it, that, that changed the whole game. Yeah. The, 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 the hip-hop music before was all about empowerment and knowledge and uplift right and then once the nwa hit that whole thing shifted 
and to now I can't even explain what this is. I mean, this is just this is just Shaitan playing the role of like Geppetto, and, and and just and just and just pulling the. Sh I mean, and just leading you to. I mean. Leading you to Jahannam. I remember, I remember a, a brother with an overactive imagination. He once told me about a long, a long conspiracy theory about how like the CIA had it in for Eze -E and they gave him AIDS. And uh, I'm like, dude, have you ever heard the guy's music before? <laughs> like, but, but, with, with people like that, you don't need no CIA, brother. But, 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 and that's, another, that's another thing, Sheikh, that has to be addressed too. That, that, that we have a lot of our Muslim youth; they're committing fornication, and these STDs are out here. They're all right. there. Yeah, I, I, I heard one of the most heartbreaking stories about a, a and there's a married man who got who got HPV from his wife because she's having an affair. Now these things that you can't get rid of, and this is, you know, you but you know you, if we don't bring these youth in and get them to love Allah and His Messenger and the Masjid and the Muslims, Salah Islam, they're going to fill that need with something else, and you know, and like I said, you get herpes, you're not getting rid of that, and then you might reform. You might one night you might mess up and then you say you know what I want to do this and this and this and now next thing you know you've got to tell this prospective spouse look I've got this STD and you can't even fault someone for saying you know I'm a pass and these are other things that are out there like yo you got a lot of STDs out here and this fornication is running rampant yeah you know and, and it's it's another issue that has to be addressed like you know this and that's one I guess where I'm just I'm hardline on it where I you know no no you can't go to prime. No, you can't go to homecoming, uh, and that's just one area where you know. You know, I, I actually uh, uh, I had to go to prom because my older sister wanted to go with her friends so bad, and so she like like Clash of the Titans, you know, like cause the eldest the eldest daughter is like the little junior matriarch in the house. So her and my mom like you know, and uh, so my mom's like, okay, you can go. You have to take Hamza with you, and it was one of like the most decrepit experiences of my life, and that's why I have to second. Uh, uh, I have to second uh, this uh, uh, this sentiment. That's, that that's you, one area where I'm hard line. You, you know, like we're that's just not who who we are. That's not what we do. And the thing is, you can say no to your kids that oh, you're not going to prom. If you are not replacing with something else, you are Thank problem you. the problem. Okay, you tell your children we're going to go to Umrah instead. We're going to go to Turkey. We're going to go to Morocco. You know what I mean? Uh, we're or, gonna, we're gonna, we're gonna just take them off for some halal pizza. That thank night. you. Or bring, <laughs> bring all the Muslim sisters together. Let them go in a mosque and yeah, dress up and halal have prom night. Yeah, the, let them all come you're... together yeah, and yeah, just yeah. be together. Yeah, like yeah, they're, yeah. they're gonna forget about like even with the brothers. You don't have to go to the party. My, 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 my wife told me she called me. She said because you know our kids they know like you know we're fundo man. Mashallah, we weren't like that. I stuff where I used to dress up for every Halloween, but like. Because we know those things, so, you know, our kids, are, you know, we're like, yeah, we don't celebrate no Halloween. And so they know. So they told the, they told the teachers, like, yeah, we're not going to, you know, we're gonna, my mom's going to come pick us up, and we're not going to participate in the Halloween party at school. And, uh, and so my wife called me on Halloween. She said that, uh, and I was at work, I was, you know, and she said that, you know, uh, uh, one of our children cried. Not necessarily because they didn't know that, like, is haram or that they wanted to be part of it but there's something about again estrangement and deprivation that feeling nobody likes it i don't like it you know I, nobody likes it i have i i recall those feelings as a kid you know everyone goes through them. it's a human thing right and so i was just thinking about my baby crying about like you know uh, about a, a, a suffering that 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 they had for the sake of allah subhanahu wa ta'ala 
and uh, my wife let me know. And so on my way home from work, I went to I went to the store. I went to Pete's Fresh Market, um, which is a really nice grocery store. That we Chicago has a good grocery store game, mashallah. And uh, uh, I went to the, free, the, the, the bakery, to the candy section, to the freezer section. I remember buying all those ice creams that my mother, my mother like, would like, smack us just for looking at. You know, hell if we were ever going to buy them, you know. I bought every single thing. I went home, I stashed the freezer, I stashed the cakes, cookies, everything. And then I, I, I came home and I, 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 you know, they didn't know, they didn't know that any of this happened. And I asked my kids, I go, I heard that uh, one of you, uh, one of you, like, because you couldn't go to the... Halloween party cried and uh, uh, they're, they're like you know embarrassed you know and because they know it's wrong so they shouldn't even want it they're embarrassed to admit it I said, it's okay it's okay you don't have to whatever you know if it happened you don't feel bad about it I said this day this day go look in the in the fridge go look in the freezer go look in the kitchen so they looked and their eyes like lit up and you know and they forgot I said, about Halloween immediately I said, I said this day I said this day no nobody gives up anything for the sake of Allah Ta'ala except for Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala gives them something better and Yom Al-Qiyamah you'll get something even bigger it will make your eyes open up even more than this but you said but you said something so so powerful Sheikh and this is what I've just been trying to say but you said so much better you better find something to replace it because and that's what one of my former students so she said Mr. Hicks I just always felt like the oddball I didn't date I didn't have a boyfriend. I did, you know, and so it's always, and then it makes Islam look like the restriction. Oh, you can't go to this party. Oh, you can't do this Valentine's Day dance. Oh, you can't do this Christmas party. And but we're not replacing it with anything. Mm-hmm. So, like you said, have have bring all the Muslim sisters together, and let them just go be in the masjid and just sit down and talk and eat. And you think they're going to care about prom when there are a hundred sisters in hijab looking nice and the sisters come in, mashallah, you look so beautiful. Or, or you get the brothers together. I mean, we know they're well, getting tough you know. Let them go, <laughs> let them go wrestle and, yeah. and, 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 shoot, and, and shoot hoops and play soccer. Give them a healthy alternative where they can sit there and say, you know what, man, that, that prom's for the birds because my student told me. She said, after, <laughs> after graduation, Mr. Hicks, I finally understood that this stuff was pointless. But it, it, it took her to understand, to see it from a different perspective because she had nothing to replace it with. She just, she's isolated. And so she's estranged. He's estranged. They're, they're, they're the one person in that classroom. And now you got, you know, and, and, and now you, you feel like, a, um, as Dr. King said it, like a, an exile in your own land. You know, uh, Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam described the state. Uh, he said that the deen started strange and it will become strange again one day. So glad tidings to the stranger. Anyone who remembers this, Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala accept it from you. Amen. And on the flip side, uh, if I, I, you know, I feel like if there's a message, anyone who listens, if I could give to them. You know, if you know, if you want to serve the deen, if you're not a hafiz Quran that can like deliver like an award-winning salatul taraweeh, or like you know, uh, you're uh, not uh, you know qualified to give the Jummah khutbah, or like you know you can't donate like a million dollars for the new like masjid taqwa, like you know chandelier or whatever, um, that's fine. If you if you can do this, there's children out there whose parents they they should know better and they just don't, or whose parents aren't there. Allah Taala took them you know back or from circumstances they bounced or whatever 
if you first for your own children and then for the children of the Ummah, the Prophet Sallallahu all of them are our children, whatever their color is, whatever their race is, whatever land they're in, whatever, you know, if it doesn't touch your heart, knowing that a child is going through suffering, you know, like you got to check your iman. And I'm not saying that judgmentally because we all go through those things. We have to check our own iman sometimes about those things. Um, but uh, if you, you know, if you want to do something for the Ummah, you go and see those broken hearted, uh, you know, those little broken hearts and you do something like coach said, like, you know, arrange for that, you know, sisters get together, you know, arrange for that, the, the, that brothers get together, you know, say a good word or give an alternative to, you know, someone's kids whose parents may even be there, but they're just knuckleheads and they're not paying attention um, in order to, in order to like soothe that, 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 that heart, you know, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala forgive you all of your sins and give you Jannah, you know, like the one time that you, whatever, ate a Chick-fil-A sandwich and Shaykh Musa told you it was haram. Uh, <laughs> Allah Ta'ala overlook all of those things for the, Ameen. you know, uh, that have passed, you know, for Ameen. the one who does that for the sake of the, the children of this ummah. Ameen. Coaches, is there anything else you wanted to, uh, you know, get out there you wanted to say? Uh, I just think that just from my experience, we just, we have to be able to put, and, and this is like, comes from Luke mind, this doesn't come from me, we have to have some type of program or you're going to stagnate as a coach. When we get ready to start the season, we have a program set up. We're going to do this, this, this on this day, this, this, and this on this day. So come game day, this does not look like some type of raggedy, uncoached, undisciplined team. Mm -hmm. And as Muslims, we have to have a program together or we're going to produce raggedy. Or we're going to be ourselves raggedy. you know. And then our kids are going to be raggedy as well. So I'll just understand that there are a lot of things going on within this, in the school system our kids are seeing a lot, you know, please make sure you're looking at your, you, you know, uh, uh, I guess I'm just about that invasion of privacy. Maybe I'll be corrected, but you need to know what your kids are doing. Please do some monitoring with those phones at night. You know, I said, because that's when, the, that's when most of the damage is done. At, at night in the seclusion when no one's around, you know, take, take the computers, you know, from that standpoint, just be, be cognizant of your children, build a relationship with them. So when they, if they love, if they love you as the parent, in turn, when you try to tell them about Dean, they'll they'll receive the Dean from you. And then that, that we have to put stuff in place for our youth. We have to get. The, I mean, obviously with COVID, it's hard to get people together. But when the restrictions are lifted, we need to bring these young men together in their safe space. We need to bring the women together in their safe space. So they can just not feel ashamed to wear the kufi, to wear the thobe. Because I can tell you, there are a lot of young men out here, they like the thobe, but they're ashamed to wear it. You know, and we, and we have to be very cognizant. Because this is coming straight out of people's mouths. I'm listening to young people talk about it. So just from that standpoint, you know, I don't think I've brought anything earth-shattering to the table outside of the fact that just I'm, I'm, I'm at the ground level. I see what goes on every day. So if we don't provide... Uh, alternative to substitute fun for these youth, they're going to find the haram fun that's going to just take them down a path that we don't want them to go to. And may Allah Ta'ala bless you and reward you for that insight because you have a unique perspective because you're seeing it from both sides. You have you, and now as a parent, how many kids you have? Four. Allah bless and protect them all. I mean. So this is new territory, right? So alhamdulillah, you can tell that your own parents did a good job putting some values in you, but it's a whole different ballgame when you're trying to raise Muslim kids now. So, it's hard. you know, um, 
we know what it's like kind of coming from a particular lifestyle and kind of been given that freedom on the, you know, to, to kind of reign free. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're now trying to like figure out how to harness that. So that's uh, some uh, definitely appreciated insight to a lot of the parents who maybe don't understand what's happening in our schools and in our societies and that they need to be hip to the game, they need to be involved and they need to be hands on when it comes to raising our kids. And that's how we protect all of our youngsters, all of our kids. I mean, because we have to identify these issues when they're young. It's hard to undo when they're older. And you can't now like run to the sheikh or run to the imam to like help my son or help my daughter when they're already at a point of no return. It becomes much more difficult at that point. So, yes, that so Coach, you mentioned the uh, the program, mashallah. Sheikh Musa runs literally regular classes, Darul Qasim. You can go to darulqasim.org. And look at the Cleveland branch, inshallah, for those of you in town. Uh, obviously, there's the Chicago branch and a number of other branches. Where, do, where are we up to? We up to, like, what? Knoxville, Tennessee, Bay Area. There's a couple of places. I think Sheikh Amin mentioned to me that there's one uh, under development, inshallah, for North Carolina. Correct. And there are other, there are other places, there are other mashayikh, there are other ulama uh, of haq, mashallah, who are running these things. We mentioned Dara Rahma, Sheikh Abdul Karim. Uh, um, and Imam Dawood in, in Detroit but you, you got to get yourself with the program and uh, if you want your kids to be with the program the number way that you number one way of saying that is not to grab their ear and saying yeah, you better be in a program you yourself show them that this is important to you uh, and if they see their father the, you know the boys and girls they see their father uh, uh, is religiously dedicated to the program like a man it will affect them and that's the thing too, is sometimes when you announce and inform the community about an Islamic school or classes, they're like, oh, that's wonderful. I'll tell my kids about it. Like, I'll have my kids go. Yeah. Hold on now. You can't just send your kids and expect them to get fixed, right? So, Sheikh Jazakallah Khair for pointing that out is it starts with our own example because what we do speaks much louder than what we say. And when they see the importance of the deen in our own lives, that's the first step. And um, they do have online options for the people who don't have, right, a Dara Qasim or other type of facility in their cities. Dara Qasim does have like Islamic essentials online now, mashallah. We have high school classes, and by uh, as 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 a philosophy and as a program, Dara Qasim doesn't offer anything before high school. But there was such a demand for that in this community here that we actually, um, as an exception started middle school classes for you know classes for middle school age kids i should say mm-hmm. and mashallah there's been a pretty good response to that we do have things like open gym icc has done their best to make you know to renovate the gym and make it available mm-hmm. and we had that uh, twice a week before the lockdown and hopefully it'll start up again afterwards and there are brothers who come to that that you might not ever see at the masjid alhamdulillah for those two nights they'll come and they'll be at the masjid catch a prayer you know, and, and, and connect with other brothers. So um, we definitely need a game plan, and we need to be strategic. Otherwise, you can tell when the team hasn't been coached. You know when they have been coached. And talent will, will only get you so far. So we have the most beautiful dean, but if it's not, you know, packaged correctly, and we can't game plan and, 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 and actually uh, put a strategy together to help our kids and help ourselves, practice it and adopt it, then we're going to be struggling. Help us not. I mean, Jazakallah khair for that. That is so much needed. 
inshallah, jazakumullah khairan uh, for uh, listening with us. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala make our gathering uh, for his sake and forgive us for any lack of sincerity that we may have had. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, whatever words that were said of benefit, may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala make them enter into the hearts and change people in order to rectify the thing that's broken in the ummah of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, no matter uh, who and where. Uh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala accept from us. Allahumma salli wa sallam wa barak ala Sayyidina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in. Allahumma rabbana atana fi dunya hasanatan wa fi al-akhirati hasanatan wa khina alab al-nar. Allahumma a'inna ala dhikrika wa shukrika wa husni ibadatik. Allahumma ya muqallib al-qulubi thabbit qulubana ala deenik. Allahumma ya musarrif al-qulubi sarrif qulubana ala ta'atik. اللهم ربنا لا تزغ قلوبنا بعد إذ هديتنا وهب لنا من لدنك رحمة إنك أنت الوهاب اللهم يا حي يا قيوم برحمتك نستغيث أصلح لنا شأننا كله ولا تكلنا إلى أنفسنا طرفة عين Ya Allah, forgive us for all of our sins Ya Allah, make this gathering of ours inshallah a gathering in which in which the the markers and the 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 the, the exits and the junctions that people cross in their lives it gives them the impetus and the motivation to take the right path to get off the path that's going to lead to destruction to get off the path that's just going to lead to pointlessness and meaninglessness and allows us to get onto that that path that leads to you and to your love and to realization and to enlightenment and to your jannah and to your pleasure in this world and the hereafter ya allah if we said anything that you're not pleased with ya allah show us the error of our ways and give us the tawfiq of of repentance. Ya Allah, if there's anything that you were pleased with that any of us said, Ya Allah, accept it from all of us, both the speaker and the listeners, Ya Allah, and, and vouchsafe it to us, protect it f- for us, that we should be able to benefit from its nur on the day of judgment, we should be able to benefit it from, from, it in, uh, from its nur in our graves, and that we don't any, do anything to jeopardize it or screw it up before that time. الحمد لله رب العالمين اللهم ربنا اغفر لنا وارحمنا وتقبل منا واختم لنا بالحسنى ووفقنا لما تحب وترضى به وارفع بأيدينا راية الإسلام بركة الفاتحة السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته